This podcast is brought to you by Shout Engine. In less than five minutes, you can start your own podcast for free with ShoutEngine.com. Gentlemen, and welcome to episode 95. 95 of the Hooniverse Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Z. Ron. No funny name there, sorry. And I'm joined here by the wonderful Chris Hayes, as always. Oh, I'm wonderful today. You're wonderful. I, You're I'm, always peachy. I am, I am peachy. I am rainbows coming out my asshole. All right, asshole. we're done. We're done. All right, gross. <laughs> anyway, and also we have here Ben Shu of Japanese Nostalgia Car. Hi, guys. How hey. are you doing? Good. We bombed down here with dark sunglasses on in your Toyota Cressida wagon. <laughs> That's right. Yes, with the gold with the gold wheels. Those are rare wheels too, right? Yeah, they're Weds Albino twos. Damn right, they look sweet. Albino, but, but they're, they're not gold. just albino. Albino two. <laughs> so apparently okay. there was an albino. So one. there was a revision at some point where <laughs> yeah. they went, no, this albino thing's not cutting it. It's going to be golden, right? Okay. The albi- the the one, first albino was gray. They still haven't figured out the definition of albino, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. Uh, so yeah. ostensibly, Japanese cars are your thing. Uh, you could say that. Yeah. yeah. So, given that Blake and uh, you guys have spoken at some length today, what the hell have you been talking about? Uh, we've been talking about, well, you know, I am a big proponent of Japanese cars myself. I used to not be, actually. I used to think Japanese cars were just kind of weedy and crappy. I think yeah, this was back in too, middle school. Actually. And then I developed things like taste. And uh, that's that's a that's arguable, Blake. Because the, the things <laughs> that you send me speaking. links to on Craigslist... The, oh, the cars oh, that you sent me links to. The other day I was on yeah. Goonet. I was on Goonet and I found a Honda City Cabrio with a little round headlights awesome. and it was the color of a Smurf's poop. And I <laughs> sent it to Chris and I was like, I should get one of these. And Chris was like, don't don't die in that thing. That would be embarrassing. It would be very embarrassing. That's that's the little thing that a lot of people don't realize about Japanese cars, especially of like the 80s and early There's 90s. There's a lot of embarrassing stuff out there. They're death traps. They're also death traps. But, it, you know, it's one thing to die. It's another thing to die of embarrassment. And I'm not talking about the U.S. market cars. I'm talking sp- specifically the Japanese market cars. Because I had friends that were living in Japan at that time. They're like, oh, yeah, they're awful. You will die if you get in a wreck. Well, this. you're also thinking, like, small cars. And then when you're, you're in, like, a city in Japan, you're not really driving fast. Yeah. And also every other car is going to be pretty small there, too. That is right. true. Right. I mean, even their so. biggest trucks are smaller. They're, they're not, like, you know, articulated semis like, like we have here. Mm-hmm. I mean, those... You get into an accident in a K car with one of those. I mean, yeah, well, they have things pancake. like trains. So right. They don't need those as much. Well, you know, don't park on the train tracks, too. That's another thing. Well, that's a general rule you anywhere. You should not do that anywhere. However, if you can park on a monorail track, I dare you. Ooh, <laughs> nice. Monorail. That's a wave of the future right there. Absolutely. Yeah. And speaking of monorails, there's actually no, um, there's actually no sensible transition here because I was going to say you were talking about – C.J. Wilson's rotary-powered Miata before the uh, before we started. Uh, You're right. Hiring. That has nothing to do with monorails. That has nothing to do with monorails. So that was a rough segue, but exactly. we'll jump into it anyway. Uh, so yeah, there was an interesting little feature. I think it was up on jalopnet.interweb. Jalopnet.link, um, as I call it. As Mr. Travis Okolsky is accustomed me to, to naming it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was C.J. Wilson, uh, who is a noted uh, Mazda fanboy. Owns a few dealerships, has a big, big custom uh, Mazda build house. Plays the baseballs? He plays some baseball. Some kind of stick and ball thing. Sports yeah. ball, as I call it. That's right. That just all encompasses anything with an inflated ball or something that you hit with a stick for a net or a goal or some meaningless thing. Anyway. That's a thing people do. Uh, yes. Yeah, so if it doesn't have an engine, I don't care about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had these uh, – so they get this – it was a first-gen uh, – First gen. What's the actual N- term? NA. 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 Right. Okay. Do you know uh, what year it was? I think it was like an '89. Okay, so really early. I NA. think that's okay. what it was. And wow. they took. He had so. C.J. Wilson was looking to buy another Mazda dealership. I believe it was in Chicago. Uh, and uh, dealer goes, "Okay, fine. Yeah, I'll I'll sell it to you gladly." However, the the guy that owned the dealership was a Mazda fanboy, and he owned an RX-8. That kind of helps when you own a Mazda franchise and that you happen to like Mazdas, too. It's nice because a lot of times I feel like these guys are just like, 
I was an orthodontist. It made a lot of uh, money. What's, so the, me... what's the brand that'll make the most money? BMW. I'll open a BMW well, shop. Like Whatever. Ortho, like I said, it's like an orthodontist yeah. that made a bunch of money. He's like, I'll open a Hyundai dealership. What the hell? Yeah. Um, but also, if, if a dealership's owned by a Mazda fanboy, you can't get anything by him. He'll know, he'll know all kinds of shit. Yeah. So the stipulation was, he goes, yeah, yeah, I'll sell you my dealership. So long as you stick this Renesis uh, rotary motor out of my RX-8 into my first-gen Miata. A sane person would have just walked away at that point. Yeah. Um, it was... Uh, it's it's a little bit like an Irish wolfhound trying to have sex with a pug. It just sure. does not fit. That's like the that's like the urban legend where it's like, oh, hey, look, I've been... Um, you know, I've been willed this haunted house. I just have to stay in it for a night. Yeah. Just like that. Yeah, it's just like that. Exactly like that. <laughs> so... Yeah, so they get this whole thing, and it was apparently quite the project, but... Uh, I, oh, I bet. The pictures they online... Like, fabricate a new subframe for it or something? No, or no, no. They, no. They, able, they were able to make everything fit eventually. I'm guessing there was a lot of work with, with sledgehammers and various mallets. Yeah. Uh, and probably a good, you know, torture tool. still a tall engine. Um, actually, it didn't It didn't seem as though it was... I mean, the Renesis motor, I doubt that it's that much taller than a regular four-cylinder Miata motor. Okay. Um, but... The work they did was beautiful, and it actually looks like it's completely stock the way they fit it in there. Yes. Um, the only thing, the only real obvious thing from the outside that you might see is the gauge cluster is from an RX-8. Okay, that makes because sense. they couldn't retrofit all that wiring to work with the Renesis motor and right. blah 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 blah. Right. But and that's the last thing they want to worry about. It's a beautiful piece of work, I have to say. Yes, I like that. I like that. I think I I would have been much more impressed. If they had done it to an NC, because one, NC is built on the RX-8 chassis, and two, you know, you got to keep the generation similar, and three, I want to do that someday. Apparently, on the NC, it's almost a bolt-in. Oh, well, perfect. i got to do that someday. So, there you go. You just need a destroyed NC and a destroyed RX-8. Uh, I'll just blow two engines on an NC, and it'll be great. Yeah, and then you'll then you'll put the RX-8 motor in there, and then you'll blow that six months after that. Oh, perfect. Because those motors just die. I'll have a lot of fun with those six months. Just bouncing off the rev limiter at 9,500 RPM or something. <laughs> so, yeah. It was a pretty cool little car, but, uh, yeah, you gotta be a def- you got to be a hardcore Mazda fanboy because I'm betting that build is probably 70, 80 grand worth. Ben, have you ever thought about biting into the Miata? Uh, oh, yeah, all the time. Apple? I'm completely torn between a Miata and an S2000. Um, Ooh, that's that's tough. You know, it's, yeah. it's I was like that too. Call. Except an S2000 is always going to be more expensive than any Miata. Right, that's, that's true. The problem. But it's that also a lot more unique than Miata. It's more unique. And arguably yeah. a much better looking car. And it does drive way better, i got to say. I love Actually, I'm not S2000s. so sure about that. No, I think I the handling the of the Miatas, are, especially the NAs, are better than the S2000s. But, you know, the S2000s have a little bit more power. I love that, uh, the, the AP1s, like how they rev to, like, The AP1s know, are kind of frightening. And, I drove in, you know. I, I've driven both. I think the AP2 is the sweet spot. Yeah, so the AP2, just to clarify, Fair that's enough. the second, that's the revision that's, on it. They, um, yeah, it's yeah, a 2.2 yeah. engine with more torque, but a lower uh, red line. More torque being a relative term in the And also they, they, they revised the suspension slightly so it wouldn't be so tail-happy. Yeah, that's a big thing. The AP1 is very tail-happy. S2000s have been known as kind of, eh, it's an easy car to oversteer and, and end up into a, a pole. And I've seen it happen uh, twice, actually. Um Good car, but easy to fuck up in. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really like a speed demon or anything. For me, it's more about the... Handling. Well, it's the handling, but also like, you know, what it represents in automotive history or something, you know, so... Just so you know, the the mics are picking up your hands on the table. Um, Whenever I buy a car, I have a really hard time letting it go. And if I were to buy an S2000, I would buy it because, you know, it was the pinnacle of... Honda's uh, like the golden era, and you know. A, so uh, you're more looking at it from historic and almost a collector yeah, standpoint. Exactly, exactly. Do you actually have a collection per se? Or? Um, I have a few cars. Yeah. You do. Um, n- not all of them are going to be historically significant. Okay. Let me just warn you right now. Uh, I have uh, an A86. Okay. Um, you know, bone stock. When people started drifting them and gutting them, I figured, well, one day they're, they're going to be no more. So I wanted to. Uh, pick one up I really, I really do appreciate that. I think there is a, there is um, 
like a need for a preservation class, if you will. Yeah. Of I mean, the Toyota today. Museum doesn't right. even have an 8086 in it. You, you, t- you take cars you'd never think would be collectible someday, and you just make them like the nice. You just you know kind of not necessarily restore them, but you just kind of clean them up and make them the nicest and preserve them yeah. as a template for the future. And you know, there's a lot of Toyotas, there's a lot of Hondas, and everything that I think would be. Uh, fitting with this right. class. I right would here. argue that the stock A86 is rarer than, like, you know, oh, a yeah, Ferrari absolutely. Enzo or something. It's going to hold its value. Uh, like that too. I don't know about an Enzo, but I mean, it's it's a rare, rare well, car. There are I like mean, 400 Enzos or something like that, 399 or something like that, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, I think there are fewer stock A86s than that. <laughs> They've all been drifted into walls. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Well, it's going to, and I think the 240 is going to be the same way. Yeah. Uh, especially the S14. Mm hmm. Um, you know, it's it's rare. I mean, just like it's hard to find a stock Supra. It's, I I have seen stock Integra GSRs for like four grand, less than four grand. Integra's still amazing. kicking around. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, little old lady sort of thing. Yeah. I, I think you know, uh, Eclipse like GSXs and things oh like that. God, those yeah. are hard to find, and those yeah. are actually starting to be on the upswing. Those are um, hard to find in general. I think they've they, all been, they they, they've all just crank walked into the grave. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right, and plus a lot of them were. Fast and Furious. Yeah, that's well, true. Well, yeah, that was that was those were my years of like high school, and it was just like, ugh, this is some awful crap. Going I have on. to, I have to make a confession. Yeah. My mom really likes the, that generation of clips. I showed her pictures of it once, and there was like cool. a there was like a GS GST with the convertible and everything, and I was like, Mom, you should get this car. And she was like, I really like the way that looks. And I was like, Well, that's it. My mom's going to be in Fast and Furious the Seven. Second gen G, you know, the second gen Eclipse and Talon and that, all those cars, the DSM cars. Those were good-looking cars. I, um, I remember. I think I used to see those a lot more often than I do now. It's kind of a shame. The the kind of ultimate build with those back in the days was if you had a GSX and you had a first-gen motor because the first-gen motor didn't suffer the reliability and tolerance issues and the crank walk and all all that right. happened with the second-gen. Um, it was and it was almost a marriage made in heaven because the first-gen cars would literally rattle apart. You know around you right so the only thing that'd be left is the drive would be the engine and then the second gen the engine would blow and you not just throw that it the, in. not that the rest of the car was going to be in great shape i mean it was still in late 90s early 2000s dsm so you know the motor would be gone first and the body would be serviceable so you can actually marry those two cars and actually have one functioning car look at that that's perfect yeah that's the dream right there to have a functioning car mm-hmm. oh man <laughs> i don't know what that's going to be like although i am um, you know, if everything goes to plan, I'll be picking up my Miata back from the dead this weekend. Up at, uh, what was that? Uh, Tri-Point Engineering. Tri-point yeah, engineering. it's, it's once again, like every car project on the planet, it's taken more time and more money than I ever expected. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's how it works. But, you know, I'll, have, I'll hopefully have a working car, and, you know, I do want to do more things to it. I do want to keep carrying on that vision, if you will, of a car that I've personalized myself. And I think that's what's po- great about car customizing Obviously, people have figured that out since the beginning of time. Well, there's no need to be precious about that car now anyway. No, there's no need because especially NB values are tanking right now. It's gotten to that little uncanny valley where, like, values used to be expensive because they were newer, and now they're getting old, and it's just – no, you, you, I couldn't sell that car for anything. Uh, it's it's not revered like the first gen. Nope. And it's just you're, – you're right. It's just nobody has any real interest in them. They're perfectly fine cars. And I think it's a great option if you're going to go build a race car. And you still see a lot of like you know well well maintained NBs. You know they're they're used cars. They're not hoopties yet. Some of them are starting to be hoopties, so that's the thing. So that's why I suppose the values are tanking. I I, I can't wait until I see one on dubs. I've seen that before. Oh, that's that's, that's in the state. I didn't even go to Florida. That's remarkable. Yeah. Right. Um. So you were saying so you've got an A86. Right. What um, else do you have? At home? I have a 71 Toyota Crown, a uh, 1980 Supra. Uh, my daily driver is a 86 Cressida wagon. Okay. And um, what else do I have? Well, you got the SC300. Oh, the SC300 five-speed, 97. With low miles. Yeah, less than 65,000 miles. Um, 97 was like the first year of the facelift, but mm-hmm. the last year of the manual. So that was the only year you could get a so facelift. So you've got a manual. you've got a very nice year to have there then. Yeah, there, apparently there were only 120 made that year. Wow. Well, that was kind of like well, I got rid of it, but I had the little I, I called it the unicorn of the Honda Elements. It was all wheel drive and manual. Wow. Oh, you finally sold it. Oh yeah, yeah. Did you, did you get it. what you wanted for it? Uh, a little bit less, but I was happy to just have it out of my driveway because Fair I was enough. tired of shuffling cars. Um, because once you have more than Okay, once you have more than one car, you're kind of an idiot if you live by yourself. Once you have more than two cars and you live by yourself, 
you're really kind of pushing it, especially if you live in an apartment. And then if you have three cars and a scooter, you're an outright moron. And I was an outright moron. I, I am beyond moron. Are you living in an apartment? or? Uh, well, yeah, I'm, f- I'm full, full-blown idiot. Um, and I should also say that I uh, listed a lot of Toyotas, but that's just coincidence. I'm not like a Toyota, Toyota die car. Die just things you got deals on. and yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, you know, they're good cars. Toyotas back in the day, yeah, they're pretty interesting. Yeah, they're bulletproof. They're very interesting. That's the yeah. thing. Not necessarily fast, not necessarily sexy, but definitely interesting. And this goes back to what you were saying about collecting a car that most represents a period mm-hmm. or a philosophy or anything. Correct, correct. Yeah. yeah. And I think the 80s and 90s Toyotas were seriously overbuilt. I, I think mm-hmm. a 90s like SC with a 2JZ motor is probably going to last longer than like a new Camry. The, I mean, the Peterson has that 2000 yeah. LS400 that with 224,000 miles on it drives brand new. Well, and that's that's nothing. I mean, that's Matt's, true. That is Matt's got nothing. his 900,000 plus, plus mile one sitting. You know, God, I want to drive that thing. I bet it's awesome. Oh yeah, it's awesome. It drives. It drives like an early Lexus. It's 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 slow it's, but quiet. It's a car with nice seats. So a couple oh, like months that. ago, Blake and I went to test drive a used LS400 that he was thinking about buying. Yeah. And we it was black, right? Black, black, on, black, on, black on black on black. And uh, we took it out, and it just happened to be the golden hour. We were cruising over an LA overpass. Listening like to Tupac. Interchange and Tupac came on the radio, and we were, we were listening to like, 93.5 K Day, the greatest radio station. This car was made for this moment. It was just the most 90s experience. You were ever. like, "This is very 1993 right now." Exactly. This thing had 90,000 miles on it. Had the Nakamichi. Damn yes. Right, it's gonna have the Nakamichi. And um, I would have, I would have walked away with it, except. I mean, I would have bought the thing, except the body had looked like it had been driven through a riot. And a lot of the minor things... It very things, likely it probably was. was. <laughs> Honestly, it probably was. And um, there were a lot of, like, you know, minor details that would have been a pain in the ass. Like, the, the electroluminescent gauges were, like, not working. And then, like, yeah, the were, CD like, player was stuck. It's a common problem with those things. Yeah, and the cassette was stuck for some reason, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, but it was the city car that had this It drove really out. nice. Yeah. Also, the guy was this older British gentleman who kept on saying, "You know, when I saw your when I saw your text message, you said Blake. I was really hoping you'd be a beautiful girl. You know, oh, why aren't you a beautiful yeah, girl?" He was so disappointed. Yeah. Well, Sorry. Why aren't you like eighty percent less creepy? Why aren't you? I'm, that's that's all you. I'm gonna... a guy, and I think I thought that was being creepy. Come that's on. what I mean. Is that's yeah. all you. That's all you get to say to him at that point. Um. So LS400. LS400's great car. And, you know, there's a lot that's been said about the collectability of Japanese cars. Like, you know, the Peterson did an issue of their Checkered Flag magazine asking about the collectability of Japanese cars because one of our Checkered Flag members, Myron, out in Ohio, has a Honda Coupe 9. And that is just a a, a poster child of collectability because it's really obscure, it's a technological tour de force, and not many were in America. So... Um, everyone, everyone does talk up like the future of collectible Japanese cars, and it does seem like a badly kept secret that's getting too much exposure. And there yeah. are people who like Japanese cars, you and me included, that kind of look at it like hipsters, where we're like, "Come on, don't give away our it's secrets." It's sweet. I mean, when we started Japanese nostalgia car in late 2006, uh, JapaneseNostalgiaCar.com, um, mm-hmm. there. There were tons of people just saying, like, a Japanese car will never be collectible. I mean, you would watch Barrett-Jackson auctions and stuff, and people would say, um, oh, there'll never be a Honda on, on crossing the block. And No, that's just crotchety old guys with no vision for the future. Right, exactly. But now, I mean, uh, at Monterey last year, um, a couple of Japanese cars sold for a quarter million each. Uh, the Toyota 2000 GT sold two for Two Toyota 2000 GTs sold for over $1 million, Yeah. And there have been a couple of other 2000 GTs selling for $1 million plus. I, and I think we're not far off from seeing things like, you know, Fortune Super is going for big, big money. I mean, exactly. you're lucky to find one that's in really good shape now for, what, 35 Uh More than that. You'd, you'd have yeah. to pay more than that. And the common know. case is, of course, the NSX. That's already, mm-hmm. you can't really it's, find a good one under 35 40 yeah. yeah. And that, only a couple years ago, you could get them for like 30 yeah, I remember. I remember seeing them for like twenty, even. Well, yeah. that was when I was in high school. So, I'm thinking. I'm thinking Civic SIs are going to start cruising upwards, yeah. um, especially bone stock ones. Yeah. You're not going to find them. It, they're they're hard to find. So yeah, and that's one thing that I've always done is is when I get my cars and I do modify them and I plan on keeping them for a little while, even if I'm not sure if I'm going to keep them for, in the long run, 
I usually try to keep the original parts around so yes. that if I if I want to, I can just go right back to stock. So Jane's philosophy is if you're going to modify a classic Japanese car, uh, make make sure the modifications are re- reversible. Don't pan- paint it like candy color or chop into the body or you know just a- anything like too extreme. Uh, bolt-on parts are okay. Period correct modifications are okay. There's a lot of rare old parts that are really cool out there. But you know, especially wheels. Everything. Yes, yeah. yes. Especially and, the Japanese racing then, wheels. I don't know how it is in the Japanese market. I mean, but with certain, you know, with certain domestic market stuff, it's just like some modifications become a necessity because you're like, oh yeah, that part's going to break if that's not on there. You right, know, right. it's it's just very simple things, which is like you would have done that in the day because that's what kept your your car running. But but I think I think the most exciting part of car collecting right now is the common mundane car you'd never see being collectible but it's been well maintained well preserved everything looks fresh but it's unrestored and original completely original and it's probably worth a bit more than you'd expect it to be you know what you've got 57 chevy syndrome that's well that was my favorite car growing up and now that is the poster child of crotchety old guy car but you know what i mean is it's just like there is this value attached to those cars even though they were nothing remarkable the 57 chevy was the camry of its day Right. Nobody gave a shit about those cars at all. Personally, I still don't. I, I've learned to move away from the 57 Chevy. It just strikes me as too much going to the sock hop with fuzzy dice. It's, uh, it's, it's Quagmire, Quagmire's car on Family Guy. Yeah, but he's young. <laughs> but, Ish. Yeah, but, you know, that's the thing is with the Camry is that for the people that say they'll never be worth anything, that's all you got to do is you got to look back in history and just go, well, what was the other super common thing that everybody was driving? You know, right. I mean, everything it was like Bel Airs and Paulas. I mean, you see, yeah. you see, like an '80s Toyota. You're, you'd think, oh, that's never going to be worth anything. But if you happen to see one that was like immaculate, just happened to be immaculate, not restored or anything, you'd look back and say, oh yeah, my my dad brought home one brand yeah. new back in the day. I was in middle school or something like that. That's going to tickle that nostalgia part of your brain. Right. And, and it's, that's important. Nostalgia is the key word. That's there. what drives car collecting. Yeah, we, we called our side Japanese nostalgic car because. Um, well, first of all, they were, you know, from the Classic Car Club of America, there were very strict rules on what constitutes a classic, and none of them included anything Japanese. But uh, nostalgic car, the word nostalgic is also used in Japan, so they have, like, the nostalgic car show. The, mm-hmm. it, you know, classic isn't as isn't used as much. It's all about the feeling, the emotion. Exactly. Rather than calling something like a museum piece. That's why dudes spend way too much money on Porsches, because they wanted one as a kid. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. We're in, in the Porsche bubble right now. That's true. And, you know, I think, you know, car collecting is one of the most insular uh, societies on the planet. You know, you have a fixed rule, set, a set of rules to abide by. You can't break out of these. And if you do, you're, you're some sort of freak. There's really not much for innovation. And that's why there's been so much resistance against Japanese cars for so long. And it's really not fair to discount an entire continent of car builders. It's like it's like people that breed dogs, only with a little more racism. <laughs> I didn't know where you're going with that. I just mean like in being so particular, but you know you go to certain countries and go, oh well, this isn't a classic because it's Japanese, or this isn't a classic because it's Swedish. You know, it's that's true. It's and you know I do think I do think in the early to mid '90s, Japan built the best cars in the world. Yes, but yes. I think that by the time we hit the late '90s, early 2000s. That started to shift very quickly. That started to well, shift, yeah, but that started to that. shift for the we're... industry when everyone started chasing sales, and even Mercedes started building crap. Um, I mean, just from from personal experience with my family's cars. I mean, the the Toyotas that they bought in the early two thousands have just not held up. I mean, and, and like the Honda I had did started exhibiting serious problems. So it's not like they're the indestructible things they once were. Right. Everything's built to a, a cost. Uh, you know, like a what's the term I'm looking for? Like, you know, to a, to a price point. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think, you know, on on tomorrow night, actually, the Peterson Museum is going to be pre- uh, doing a presentation on the future of car culture at the MoCA. And um, mm-hmm. it's a free event. Everyone should show up at 7 o'clock. Um, but we're going to be talking about, you know, where are young people these days going to go with cars? And we've heard so much crap about it that it is absolutely tiresome and cliche. You know, you get all these – you got these young people who – are defending their own car culture versus all these people who keep saying we're only on our phones, like they can get you anywhere. But, you know, I think based on the cultures that culture that we have grown up in, we're going to look back to the 80s, we're going to look back to the 90s, and we're going to – that's going to tickle our own nostalgia parts of our brain. My music in my day was better than anything else ever. Nothing will surpass the typewriter. You know, it's just damn right. Uh, just forget those old assholes because right. they're gonna die. We're gonna have so to do what we. We're gonna have to but, do what it takes. We're gonna have to do what it. What 
we want to do with uh, with cars, keeping cars alive. And you know, you I know, think that. Sorry to cut you off there, mm-hmm. but I feel really strongly about a subject like this, and I do feel like you know the '80s are going to be back. Right now, kind of in a cheesy way, but eventually going to be an earnest way. We're going to look back and be like, yeah, you know what? Some aspects of everything about that were cool. You know, it's a, it's a, an aspect of kind of light narcissism in people. And that oh, yeah. They can't look beyond themselves and go, okay, not everything is made for me. You know, just like that Taylor Swift album that you don't give a shit about and you just – and you, you know, call it as crap. Sure, it may not be what you like, but it also wasn't made for you. 14-year-old girls love the hell out of it. You yeah, know? exactly. It's, you, know. you know, just because they don't like those cars doesn't mean there's not some merit in them. Granted, we had some eras of cars that were pretty shitty, you know. We've got some things from the 70s and the 80s that are pretty shameful across the board from all the manufacturers. You know, they had their good things here and there, but those were some dark times because of the technological limitations we had. The Cadillac Cimarron Collectors Club would like to speak with you. Yes, yes. Uh, and the guys that ran the Iron Duke Motors and just a lot of stuff. I've, I've met the Cadillac Alante Owners Club. They're very scary people. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, in that same genre, we get gems like the Grand National, you know, which are a hell and of a And the Mark car. II Supra, yeah. which yeah. I was talking about the entire car right here. Oh, yeah. We're gonna get one and film and Ben, cheesy ben 80s, you and I are gonna uh, film a movie. We're gonna we're gonna film a Japanese eighties cop show called Night Mission. It's gonna be awesome. You know what you have to do? You have to redub it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. none of us speak Japanese. And you you have to film it in Torrance. <laughs> Because, yeah, we're going to film it in right. there in San Pedro and Wilmington and on the docks, and then we're just going to walk around in ill-fitting suits and big sunglasses. Right, looking off to the distance and talking to each other but not looking at each other. You exactly. know what you need is you need the big Oakley mirrored ones where it's like there is no frame. The the frame is the lens itself. Ooh, that was state-of-the-art back then. I bet you those things now, because of all the hipster kids that are dressed in like it's 1986, uh, I bet you those things are actually hard to come by. There's going to be a scene where I wear cosp porta pros I lived through the 80s. I remember how awful things are. I don't know why people are trying to reenact them. I don't know either. I was born in 87. I, that counts as me having a foothold in the 80s. <laughs> Everything else is moot. Yeah. Um, so, uh, okay, so you were saying Mark II. Mark II Supra. Oh, Mark II Supra, yeah, a great car, indestructible. It's got that 80, 80s wedge shape mm-hmm. um, that's very iconic for the time period. And that was still under the Corolla branding, right? No, no. Or the, uh, um, the Celica the, branding, rather. Yes. Okay, so it was an offshoot of the Supra. I mean, the Celica. The Supra was an offshoot of the, of the Celica. In Japan, it was called the Celica XX. XX. And the reason they changed it to Supra in the U.S. is because of porn. Okay. So XX yeah. means a pornographic movie. Yeah. Of course, they could have just named, put two different initials Right, on a, it. a name born from porn, Supra. That's true. It's like Pac-Man. Correct. Yeah, they were going to call it Puck Man, and they thought people would vandalize it. Well, it was like Donkey Kong. It was yeah. supposed to be Monkey Kong. Oh, nice. Once again, translation problem. <laughs> and and, and, the, and I don't know if this one's true, but this rumor gets floated around. The, the, Star- Starion? the Starion? That's not true. Yeah, that okay. is Star of Orion, actually. and that is racist. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't come up with it. No, that's true. That's true. Well, that's like that's as urban legend as it gets along with the Chevy Nova thing. Oh, right. yeah. The yeah. Nova thing is horseshit. Yeah. Um, so I have been – so – is uh, listeners may or may not have caught up on is I bought a Fiesta ST a few weeks ago and uh, it, less than a thousand miles on it has already been fairly heavily modified. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it sounded a bit louder than usual. No, 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 it's still the stock exhaust, um, but well, the wheels have all been swapped out already to much, much lighter ones that seven and a half pounds less. They per look car. awesome. Thank you. Yeah, they do look really awesome. And it's because you have the ST cap, so it looks like a factory option. And I kind of dig that. Yeah, I. and that is a phone going off in the background, and it's not a big deal. Actually, i gotta, I got to so. point out Harrison, who's in the back, just on Craigslist, browsing through awesome shit right now. One, he has a, a MR2 Turbo Coupe right now for five grand at Hesperia. Two, he had a Mark II Supra on display that I've been looking at all day at work. And then three, there was a Long Beach Grand Prix Celica that he had found earlier. Which was really cool. Can you, can you pull that up again? Just click back a bunch <laughs> of times. And this is where we have our Japanese car porn segment. That's true. You, use your imagination. Just go on Craigslist and see if you can type in Long Beach Grand Prix Celica listeners and hope it's still up. Harrison, Blake you just bought it. Ha- yeah, Harrison, are you planning to buy these cars? Well, if somebody's willing to buy a uh, 
2002 Saturn L200, 22,000 miles on it, purrs like a kitten when it's running. You should you should shoot me an offer. I'll give you $35 for it. Deal. And a bag of Fritos. All right. So uh, now that I've introduced Craigslister. Yes. Obsessive Craigslist yeah. here, right here. Anyway, um, so VSST, what else have you done to it? It also went down to – so we're doing some stuff with the guys that run ModBargains.com. Okay. Um, and they're kind of aiming to be like the crutch field of aftermarket parts. And I was pretty impressed when I went down there and saw their operations. They've got uh, their full warehouse with all the parts. So they service like BMW stuff, but they've been expanding out. So they're, you know, big MW RX scene there, and they're really hitting the Fiesta scene hard these days. Um so got in touch with them because they had a lighting package for those cars. That's a huge upgrade because that's one of the big problems with the Fiesta SD. HIDs or something? Well, the stock lights, you can outdrive them very, very quickly. And in Europe, they got much better lights, but somehow we got huh. the crappy ones. Um, so swapped those out to HIDs. Thanks, and then Obama. the uh, the fog lights are switched out to full LEDs now, and it's just about as bright as that RCF we had. Really? LED LED fog lights? That's awesome. Yeah, it's super bright. I it's... still have selective yellow fog lights on my car. I put in yellow bulbs because I want it to be super EDM. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Sorry. That Sorry, or America. Be, that or you're trying to be a rally. That's exactly it, yeah. <laughs> um, so went down there. It's, it's pretty cool. They had three lifts, spotless. Um, I hadn't been that impressed with the shop since I'd walked into, like, Hennessy's. That's cool that they have a warehouse and a shop. Well, yeah, you can, they have like, to test out the parts, I assume. Well, they test out. They're their own guinea pigs, but then they're also doing um, like if you're somewhere in Southern California and you want and you're not confident in your wrenching ability, you can just call them up and they'll do it for you. Really? Um, but they've got like phone support for their stuff. It's pretty. I'm pretty impressed for a small operation. Where are they based? Uh, what was it? La Habra. Oh, cool. Um, so you know, just look for lots of warehouses in Orange County, and they're probably near there. That, that makes sense. Um, How's their stock of 86 Cresta wagon parts? I don't know how strong it is. You might want to check with them on that. All right. Uh, but the cool thing was is they got uh, they had an alignment rack with full quarter uh, balancing, uh, and then they also have an all-wheel drive dyno going in. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to be doing some more stuff with them. But, uh, yeah, get the lighting package and everything from them. So their, their business model is primarily online and catalog? Yeah. Okay. Online. And- what, what brands are they expanding to then? Because you said they have BMW right now. Uh, so they've been big on BMW. They're covering Mercedes. They're pushing into the Fiesta stuff. They've got a bunch of like WRX stuff. I mean, they cover a lot of things, but it seems like their niche over the years has been kind of turbo stuff. Ah, gotcha. Um, but uh, yeah, they've been around. I'm, like I said, I was I went into it, which is kind of like, oh yeah, they're going to be a little mail order shop. I I, just, I really came out of there more um, pretty nice. more than impressed. Um, so. Yeah, uh, so we're going to do that. So I did my car. Dad's car is going to get done, too. Nice. Uh, so we'll actually be able to see. Um, and then cool. I got a shipment from Magnaflow the other day. Ooh. Yes. Uh, and uh, Mountoon is also – Mountoon and Ford Racing are also sending me things. Uh, and so is Hotchkiss and uh, Pierce Racing and uh, somebody else that I can't remember right now. So the Fiesta is not going to be very stock for very That long. sounds like fun. So look forward to that being kind of like we're going to do a shootout comparison between that and the cop stuff we did with Dad's car. So we're going to have two Fiestas. Um, yeah. Nice. Ben, how are, your, how, how are your car projects going? Do you have anything you're working on right now? Um, I'm working on my 80 Supra just fixing like an oil pressure issue. I think it may be because the you're oil underselling pan that a bit. Dent. Oil pressure issue is a bit of a problem. Yeah, I think <laughs> the oil pan is dented and blocking the pickup. Okay. Um, but the oil pan is, uh, <laughs> to, in order to get it out, you need to take apart the whole cross member and. Are you gonna pull the whole suspension? K member out and? Right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm gonna see if I can just get someone to weld some, you know. Uh, some baffles, some baffles. Well, no, weld something onto the bottom of the pan and like pull it out with a slide hammer. Oh um, yeah, you should be. I mean, so long as it's not an aluminum. No, it's not. Yeah, it's, it's a metal pan. Um, so I'm working on that. My Cresta wagon, you know, I someone backed into it recently and uh, it's lowered, so hit me right in the headlight, which is unfortunate. And yeah, I'm just like trying to get parts for that. I mean, that's the issue with some of these older cars, even cars from the '80s. Parts are getting hard to find yeah because they're 
Like Toyota doesn't make them anymore. No, Toyota's not going to make them, and they're not popular enough as far. Right. You it's know. not like a year one catalog where you just go buy anything. But, yeah. But uh, I mean, I could see that maybe happening in Japan at some point, but I don't know that we'll ever have a. Will that market ever be popular enough here for that to happen? Well, we'll see. I mean, there are, uh, yeah, for some of the more popular models like Zs and Skylines, um, and I'm talking about like the Hakoska Skylines and stuff. Yeah, there's plenty of aftermarket support. Um, There is a company in the U.S. that's uh, I think called Fudofab. They're making, I think they're trying to make 510 reproduction body parts. Uh, similar to the way okay. Dynacorn makes um, complete 69 Camaro bodies. Yeah. Um, well, that makes sense because the 510 has actually turned into a pretty popular platform. Yeah. Because I remember looking at those when I was in college, and it's like, oh, these are cool little cars. And I don't know, probably five years after that, I started looking at them, and I'm like, oh, these got expensive. Yes, very ah. expensive now. And parts are really hard to find. Um, and there's a company that just came out with a complete fiberglass Z, 240Z body. Wow. That's cool. That's yeah. That's going to be a significant weight savings, too. Yeah. I mean, I have no idea um, how the parts build on, like if it fits, if everything fits. Well, oh, no, they invariably they, don't. Yeah. They, fiberglass parts aftermarket, they don't fit. You're going to spend three times as much in the body shop as you spend for the parts. Oh, boy. Um, but that's just how fiberglass parts go. Yeah, but I mean, the, I guess the point is that there are companies out there doing that stuff now. Yeah, I mean, that's if for the 240s, that makes perfect sense because those are popular, and I think... You know, that is, if you've got the cash to pick up a 240, buy one now. They're still yeah. not that expensive. You well, know, there that's were a lot at least made. what I keep telling myself. I mean, I can I could find a really cherry one for eight grand, and then anyone who, I, I still kind of think anyone who prices them over 15 grand is insane. Yeah, well, there's a uh, Z432 Fair Lady that's going to be sold at Amelia Island uh, coming up in like a week or something. And that is a Japanese only spec with a. The 432 stands for um, four valves per cylinder, triple carve, uh, two overhead cams, and that was the Skyline GTR engine. Right. So that is a super rare car. It was cost twice as much as a base Fairlady Z. And we never you, got it in America. We never got it in America. Um, and uh, I don't know. I mean, it's expected to fetch like 200000 at least. Jeez, yeah. Were our 240s neutered at that time the way that our car – our versions of European cars were completely neutered? Um, I've heard that the U.S. 240Zs have a slightly softer suspension than uh, Japanese and European ones. Okay. Now, there was a there was a 2000 GT that was sold recently that was supposed to sell for $650,000, but it didn't go through the auction block, right? Uh, it was supposed to sell for like a million, right. but it didn't it, it, there was a reserve on it i think so it didn't reach right. that price okay. um i don't think scottsdale is the right environment for those yeah. cars you know the peterson used to own that red 2000 gt yeah, yeah yeah what happened to it i guess we sold it at some point oh and did you get a it didn't sell for it? no we did not um but i think that car did not sell and yeah you're right scottsdale is probably not the right environment for it. that's still you know muscle cars and 32 roadsters yeah it seems like if you were going to be selling that you'd be doing that here in new york yeah, Monterey um, definitely. Monterey was the hotbed yeah. last year, and I think there's probably going to be some more um, Japanese cars for auction this year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Arizona, as it turns out, not real open to other cultures or good taste. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's a little mean. No, it's not. Yeah. It's an awful place. Fair enough. <laughs> don't go to Scottsdale. No, I've spent time there. I don't like it. Um, so brought to you by the Phoenix Chamber of Commerce. Yes. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I did a summer in Phoenix. It was not good. That that there's your problem right there. A summer in Phoenix. Yeah, it was a little. You know, was you it start... at the University of Phoenix? Yes, yes, it was. I went to their online courses in person. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and I completely lost my train of thought. I don't know where we're going. But anyway, um, have we hit? Any, we should probably hit a few new car things. Yeah, Geneva was a thing. Remember that Geneva? Happened. That happened. Uh, let's see what was there. Aston Martin had a f- couple cool displays. Vulcan. Um, that's a. Koenigsegg that's, had an awesome thing. Yeah, uh, as usual, the magic looks awesome. Von Koenigsegg came out with a no gearbox car that can hit 248 miles an hour. In How much horsepower seconds? did it have? Like 1800 or something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Wasn't it 1500? But yeah, yeah it, it was, was definitely up oh, there. 1500. It was in right. uh, 700 of that is is electric. purely electric. You um, know. Just because. Yeah. Because he's Christopher von Koenigsegg, and he's awesome. So, you get that. Um, what else came out of Geneva? Uh, let's see. I'm, I'm blanking right now. 
I mean, Suzuki came out with a small four-wheel drive concept that took cues from the Escudo, which we got as the Vitara uh, slash Geo Tracker, um, the Suzuki Fronte, which was a rear-engine K car. Go figure. That's true. I and, remember the Fronte. Yeah, and uh, it was just like a really cool like retro styling concept. Oh, the new. Oh, the Alto, right? Wasn't yeah, it the red one with the slanted looking headlights? That was the uh, Fronte, and the they made a one. They made a larger hood version called the uh, Servo. That's it. Yes, yeah. exactly. And, the coupe. Um, you know, most people just look at it and be like, "Oh, another compact." But I just thought it was really cool how they had no. Those I think retro styling I, cues. I saw that the other day, and I was like, "Yeah, that is super retro. It's kind of ugly, but it does look really awkward in the sense that '70s Japanese cars did look kind of awkward." Yeah. And you know, I love the idea of a retro Japanese car because a lot of people are gonna think, "Oh, Japan has no history. You know, you can't really right. go to back." But you know, well, you Japan know, has done a lot of retro the stuff. IDX. There was, and there was also the Toyota Origin for those really obscure right. people, and there's also Mitsuoka. Uh, let's not talk about Mitsuoka. Uh, Better for stuff there I really like. Trust mm. me. And a, also a, Mazda. Caliber on, on an S13 platform. Not even that. The Orochi, I still think it looks awesome, all uh, right, because I'm weird. Yeah, you're weird. Yeah, I'm weird. Um, Mazda has done some retro Miatas in concepts past, mostly the to- Tokyo Auto Salon. Yeah, I... You know, uh, they announced some Miata stuff, I think, at the Geneva Auto Show, Motor Show. Definitely the Fiat version, which is yeah, probably the, the Miata I would get because I like Italian things. So Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, would you get it if it still had the uh, Fiat engine? Or well, that is the Alfa Romeo hopefully, engine? Hopefully. I, I think it'd be a pretty good engine. You know, Fiat does have a good engine. The one in the Abarth is a pretty good engine. Just, you know, everything else both. The only Alfa engine great. to buy is an Alfa V6. That's the only Alfa engine to buy. Yeah. I mean, it's... You could probably fit one in there, come to think of it. Yeah. Oh, my God, a Miata with Alpha 4C power. Well, I mean, if you can put a Renesis, a V8, well, or whatever into a Miata... Uh, Alpha 4C, I mean... No, I really like that car. Yeah, no, no, the Alpha 4... But that, that, that motor... The Alpha 4C is a very special thing. To take that motor and put it into anything else is not going to make the other thing better. It's only good in the Alpha 4C. Yeah, that's true. I think it is, does go back to the presence of the 4C itself. So speaking of... of kind of limited run European cars that are of interest. What do you guys think of the GT4, the Cayman? I think it's going to be awesome. Actually, you know what? That is like one of three new cars I would buy if I had a million dollars. First impressions have been coming out today. Very good. Spinelli had very, very nice things to say I've heard very good things. You know, I wasn't very impressed with the regular Cayman, and I think this new Cayman is fantastic. It's going to be collectible. It's very rare. It's, it's It's like a... It's like a um, just Porsche's like fan service to guys who were like, "Oh, there's no more manuals anymore and stuff." You know, I, I think that works. And you can spec it up pretty well and still stay under a hundred grand, which I mean, it's still a lot of money. It comes but with for, a lot of stuff for, under a hundred grand. Porsche money, that's yeah. that's a that's value for Porsche. It's definitely got a place in the Porsche realm. You know, you're not gonna be like, "Oh, it's just an expensive Cayman." Yeah, and no, it I makes think, sense. You know, you'll get some people that'll still buy, especially now with it with it being PDK, is they'll buy a GT3 just because it's the tops. It's one of the top specs, and they're buying it for the prestige. But I right. think the GT4, with it being as involved, you know, as involved as it is to drive, um, is probably going to keep those casual status buyers at bay. Oh yeah, um, and supposedly, almost. I mean, the the. The queues for these things have been, have been backed up. I mean, they've been taking pre-orders left and right on these. I think they were sold out for two years. Yeah, it's it's gone pretty crazy. Well, that's that's in Europe. The U.S. allocation has been finalized. Ah, um, but yeah, it's gonna, it's going to be a special car, and they're already talking about doing an RS version of it. God, I can't wait for that. Um, That'd be um, amazing. You know, and that's probably going to be super, super, super low production. Oh, um, yeah. And hopefully on that they don't hinder it and actually then give it the full motor because even with the even the GT4 it's still only getting the Carrera S motor it's not right. getting a full R it's not getting a, it's not getting the full GT3 engine right so that's true but it's a nice little car um, and then of course the new R8 debuted too that's true I I feel like every time Audi comes out with an amazing design then they do a facelift on it and present it as a new car it always feels really lackluster it happened with the TT this isn't a facelift though I know it's not a facelift but But it it does kind of look like the regular R8 yeah I was surprised I I don't think it's as good looking as the first one yeah I agree no the the Q7 the new Q7 is not as attractive as the last one too you know it is kind of worrisome what's going on there uh yeah well 
And I think it's kind of hard to top what Audi was doing. I mean, Audi had a solid 10-year run of building yes. some of the most beautiful cars on the road. Right. Um, starting in the early 2000s. Yeah. You know, that was that was the great Audi renaissance. I mean, they still didn't drive great, and the reliability is suspect as usual. But, right. um, you know, it's they've been making some very handsome cars for a long time, and I don't know that you can keep that record going without eventually faltering. Yeah, although, you know, the prologue concepts, the two prologue concepts do give me some kind of hope with that. But the tricky part with those is that you have, you got to get the proportions right because those cars are basically built on proportions. And, you know, if, if it's watered down in any form for production, for, for production, it's just not going to look right. The, the Jaguar XF was exactly like that when it came out. Yeah, that's true. One of the cars I really liked from Geneva was the Kia Optima Wagon. Nice. Did you see the re- the red one? No, I did not. It oh, was, I did see that. That, that looked, looked fantastic. It was bitching. Yeah, that looked fantastic. A Kia Optima. Maybe it's Kia's turn for I don't know a that, design renaissance. I don't know that the words Kia Optima, that looks fantastic, have ever been uttered before. Hey, the, 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 the current, current Kia yeah, looks the, pretty good. It's, it's okay. It looks okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good. I don't fall in love with Des- that car. Design it doesn't drive wise, great. Design-wise, it really is set apart from the average uh, you know, mid-sized sedan. Um I think probably the only one better looking right now is the Mazda 6. Yeah. Yeah, the Mazda's, Mazda's are although, just doing very good. Although I think right the now. current status of midsize cars right now, it, it's it's a pretty good ranking in terms of good design. And I think yeah. if you design a good midsize car, it's way harder to do than design a good sports car. Yes. I don't mind um, – well, I mean, of course, the Germans still do handsome midsize cars. Different oh, okay. price Okay, yeah. I was talking about like more like yeah. non-luxury ones. Yeah. Um, would you would you consider the I, I like the Impala I think that's a decent I like car. the Impala I think it looks pretty good um, um, I like the Fusion I like the Accord yeah the current the update the refresh on the Fusion is not a bad looking yeah, car at all I I, I kind of like the Passat even though it's way more dull than any other ones it just looks very handsome and German ish yeah I actually like uh, the new crop of American compacts like the Cruise and the Focus I mean I, I think they're really great yeah yeah the um, the Cruise is an interesting little car. I mean, it's 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 a good car. I mean, it's had kind of it hasn't gotten the credit that it was due. Yeah, um, no, it really hasn't. And it, it's getting a little long of the tooth. Luckily, there's a new one. I think there's a new one in China right now, and they're going to come up with a new one. Yeah, soon it's enough. due for a refresh. I mean, it's not even that old. It, it's funny. The things that we consider long in the tooth now have been like, oh yeah, cars used to have a production run of like seven, eight, nine years, and now we're like, oh, it's three years old. It looks old. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well there's it, such a yeah. competition to keep doing the new thing. And especially with all the gadgets there, I mean, they're going to be obsolete. Like, you know, they're going to they're going to have to keep updating them like iPhones in order to keep people interested. It'll be yeah. just like the '50s, and there'd be a refresh on a car every year. Yeah, that that is true. That and when smoking was healthy. Ah, uh, yes, that's it. Smoking will become healthy again. Mm, smoke Chesterfields, guys. Yeah, that, or we'll just start generating lungs in laboratories and 3D printing. Uh huh. You know, they actually do. You know, they actually can do 3D printing of uh, cellular scaffolding now. That's true. I have heard that. I think they can uh, three. I think they're working on three D printing muscles at the moment. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. the things that we're going to see in our lifetime are just—it's amazing the amount of change that we're going through, and the rate of change is just getting faster and faster. Um, you know, I, I can't remember who I was discussing, it, discussing this with just a few days ago, but it's just like to me, it feels like we're kind of in that time frame of that jump from 1900s to like you know late 1800s to the early 20s, where it was just like. A whole new world emerged. We went from way too s- fast for us to comprehend. Too. Steam and coal to electricity and gasoline and indoor plumbing. We went from dudes with bayonets to machine guns, and I think that's right. what shook up the world the most. So either we're going to enter a new renaissance or kill ourselves and yeah. wipe out humanity. Oh, actually, have you seen the trailer for that new movie, Tomorrowland? No. Brad Bird, the guy who directed The Incredibles, directed. Yeah, yeah this is his first live action film. Yeah, and it, I saw the trailer and I was really jazzed about it. It's about like the, the George Clooney's in it and he. Has this line where he says, um, "Imagine the future was built by people who actually cared about building the future, or something like that." So, it you should probably look it up, and it looks amazing. So, although from what I gather, I guess it's going to have a little bit of a Bioshock feel to that. That's true. That's exactly it. Um, yeah. And I love Bioshock, so yeah, well, it's it's kind of that well-intended Ayn Randian future, but everything goes awry. Yeah, you know, you gotta have. Not that, that I'm nothing's an Ayn Rand fan, but is yeah. Ayn Rand really well-intentioned? Well, no, no but you know what I mean. Is that idealized? <laughs> yeah, right. you know, everything should be short sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That whole that whole idea of it'll be perfect because everybody will be self-sufficient and and we'll have giant stone statues with men shrugging with the world on their shoulders and shit like that. Good times. Um, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I'd like a giant statue of myself. 
Hopefully, they'll shoot lasers out of its eyes. <laughs> and on that note, I think that wraps up episode ninety-five. Yeah, I'd say uh, yeah, we're coming in about fifty minutes, so that's that's about yeah. standard. Ben, where can they find you? Uh, go to JapaneseNostalgicCard.com. You got any projects in the pipeline? Um, yeah, I mean, we're going to do a story on the 25th anniversary of the Unos Cosmo, the three-rotor wonder from Japan. I rode um, it once. Yeah, so Mazda's lending us their oh, basement example to drive in. I cannot wait. Um, we do a series where we welcome new cars into the fold once they reach 25 years. Hopefully Travis Okulski didn't fuck it up too much at Pebble Beach last year. Yeah, hopefully not. Yeah. Damn you, Travis. Yeah, you should definitely bring that by the Peterson Museum where you can find me. Well, sort of. Sort it's of. under in construction. The, the you're not allowed in right now. Yeah, you're, you're allowed in. You just have to let me know. I can sign you in. I have the power. Or just, you know, show the power up a hard hat on the, Damn right. By the power of invested me by the state of California. Anyway, uh, you can find me at BZRONG at Twitter, where I tweet weird opinions on things, and also Millennial Jargon. And then I'm on Instagram at the same account, too. Millennial Jargon? That was... I wrote a review, and um, people were complaining about me using Millennial Jargon. Oh, yes, yes, your your F-150 review on Truth About Cars. That's true, yes. Uh, yeah, you should... You it's, should. it's full of uh, cat memes and a lot of Ariana Grande twerking. I think that's still a thing. And, um, yeah, a lot of Jonah's Brothers stuff. No, not really. Yeah, and I, I make a small appearance in the article. That's true. Uh, I have I, no idea what you guys are talking I about. I don't either. It, yeah, it's a, it's a website. Ecto Cooler. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it's a Truth About Cars. Go check out its 2015 F-150 review. Yeah. So when we did the podcast from. Yep. You can comment on millennial jargon. It is. Uh, and you can go in there and you can argue with all the assholes in the in the comments because they're, they're plenty. Yes, you can has cheeseburger. Yes. That's not a thing. Uh, Chris, where can I find you? They can find me, as usual, on Twitter at HayesData. Uh, and if you guys want to get a podcast going, go over to my company, Shout Engine, and you can get a show up and running for free. Uh, and we're pretty generous with that bandwidth allotment until you you know, get super popular. And then we ask you for a little bit of money, and I emphasize little. Um, once again, I guarantee the reliability of the service. I do not guarantee the quality of the content. Uh, I mean, look at this show, yeah, right? I know. Right? But seriously, there's, there's a lot of good shows on there now. Uh, I think we're closing in on 400. So, um, yeah. Uh, and then uh, throw out a little, you know, a little – go check out uh, Mod Bargains. Those guys hooked me up. Um, I, I'm pretty impressed with them. You should check them out. Jeff Glucker is on the road in Austin right now driving Volkswagen products, so he'll be doing an on-the-road podcast where he will get screamingly drunk and rant about – uh, things. So, um, keep expect, Volkswagen weird. Keep Volkswagen weird, Austin, and then expect to hear that soon. And you know, maybe one of these years we'll do a podcast again yeah. together. Uh, yeah. And sorry, we missed last week. I was in San Francisco. Yeah, likewise. Yeah. So, and stay tuned for Blake and I's uh, '80s Japanese cop, cop show. movie, cop show. I night mission. I will give you money to make that happen. It's All gonna right. be a lot you heard of it here first. It's gonna be a lot of. Wangan Midnight Drifting to J-pop. It'll be fantastic. Somehow yeah. I'm thinking we can actually get Don Johnson to make an appearance. Oh, perfect. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So that's Universe 95.